Welcome back to the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. My name is Dr. Stefan Obini, and I will be your host for this new season, bringing you the best of the talks from the DocSF Experience 2021. I'm excited to now introduce you to our new segment, Voices of DocSF. Now, Voices of DocSF is intended to share the experiences of several hospitals across the United States that implemented digital technology tools successfully. We'll hear from HSS, UCSF, Duke, and Northside Hospital Atlanta. Our host will be Dr. Von der Wright, the Chief of Sports Medicine at Northside and nationally respected leader in orthopedics. We know of no other venue where orthopedic surgeon leaders can hear from other orthopedic surgeon leaders about their experience driving the adoption of digital health tools in ortho. So please join Von der Wright as she leads this brand new experience on the virtual DocSF21 stage. Welcome back to DocsSF, where you are going to be hearing from end users of digital technologies as they're applied in the orthopedic setting. We've asked our presenters to describe to you what problem they're trying to solve, what solution did they select and why, and then give us a quick summary going from ideation to execution, because we know that execution is everything. Finally, we're interested in their measurable outcomes and whether or not they would actually recommend this technology. So I hope you enjoy this segment and we can all learn how to go from ideation to execution in the real clinical setting. My name is David Helfert. I'm an orthopedic trauma surgeon at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York and part of Wheel, Wheel Cornell Medical Center. And it's a pleasure to be here and thank you for listening. One of the big frustrations we have in orthopedics is acquiring all the images of patients. You can imagine orthopedics is dependent on x-rays. And as a trauma surgeon, people get injured in all parts of the world, all parts of the United States, all part of New York. And they get images taken and then we have to try and download those images when the patient comes to see us or when they contact us for an opinion. Historically, that's been done through CDs, and that's a nightmare because, number one, the patient has to get the CD and get it printed from wherever they are, which only happens in about two-thirds of cases. And even when they get the CD, we can't load them into our systems because all the systems have different technology associated with them. So it's very frustrating, takes a lot of time, and in a lot of cases, we have to repeat the imaging. So it's something that's been a frustration for us in orthopedics and for me as a trauma surgeon for a long time. Biomedical images came uh, through with a system whereby patients can themselves have their images download to a computer. Then they just uh, log onto my website and they can send me those images instantaneously. These images are DICOM quality and HIPAA compliant. We can look at those images, we can download them to our PECs, we can review those images, we can have consults on those images, and it eliminates all of those middlemen and all those frustrations and all those unnecessary repeated images. The good thing about it is it costs the physician nothing, and for the patient, the initial image doesn't cost them anything, but subsequently, if they want to be a member of My Medical Images, they have those images for life on their computer, on their iPhone, for wherever they go, and they can download them and use them. So it's really an ideal scenario, both for the physician and for the patients. I'm not digitally savvy. And so if I can use it, anybody can use it. In fact, if you just go to my website, you can actually see there's a little button. You can push the button and you can download the images. It's really quite simple. From a satisfaction point of view for quality healthcare and for allowing access to the information that a patient has, it's essential for our practice. I know the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons has now incorporated that as, a, as an option for their members and for good reason. 
a question I had was was asked was how easy is is this to implement into your system? It's really seamless. You just notify my medical images; they'll upload it into your system. It's really a very simple thing to do. There's another advantage that I didn't really focus on, but I think it's important, is that right now, very often, physicians send an image on their iPhone that they've just taken a picture of to another physician and asking for a consultation. Very often, those images aren't succinct enough. They really not, it's not HIPAA compliant, and they're not DICOM images. And it's really not a good thing to be doing consultations on a photograph of an image based on your iPhone. The advantage of this is you can still see it on your iPhone, but it really is a quality image and you can download it and you have total access to it. So I think that uh, for physicians, for ease and for consultations and for collaborating with your colleagues, this is the way to go. Have we used it? Yes, we've used it. You asked the questioners, you know, what kind of value can we show? Uh, financially, we can't show anything other than less patient uh, reappointments or cancellations. Financially, it's an advantage to the healthcare providers because they don't have to repeat images that they've already done. And for us, we have the image in our system in the hospital uh, without a problem. So there are many advantages. There's really no downside because good for the physician, good for the hospital, good for the patient. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Celan Parekh, uh, an orthopedic surgeon at Duke University. And I wanted to thank Stefano for the invitation to speak today and DocSF for, for what they're really doing in the digital healthcare space, specifically in orthopedics. I'm going to talk about AI as it relates to implementation and, and our path and implementation for uh, some early AI in our orthopedic clinics. The problem that we found ourselves with uh, years ago was that the EHR was being deployed by the health system. They were removing traditional transcription services, and there was a push to have providers do more billing and coding functions on top of all the documentation that we were already doing, which would mean less time with patients. We are a costly labor pool, so for us to do the regular billing and coding functions became a higher cost for that actual task that had to be performed, and it was more documentation that, that we had to do as, a, as clinicians. And if you look at some of the data, 78 minutes per day are lost by providers uh, using EHR. 44% of physicians, and this is according to the survey in 2018, are burned out, and 50% show increase in satisfaction when they're able to use a scribe. So when we started looking at our workflow, we started thinking about what are the parts of our workflow and seeing patients where we could potentially implement some efficiencies. And it really looked like uh, the largest time designation was really for documentation. And this is something we all know that can become a mind-numbing task where you're just documenting what you've done on the patient, especially if you cannot do it on the fly at the same time as actually examining the patient. And so when you look at options, you can do templates. The problem is that templates really need to accommodate a variety of pathologies. Even if you're an orthopedic surgeon, there's a difference between being a total knee replacement guy versus a foot and ankle guy versus a hand surgeon. And so, you know, if, if you're just doing knee replacements, maybe you have 15, 20 templates. But if you're doing sports medicine and you're all over the body, if you're doing ankle replacements, foot care, hand care, you have a lot of pathologies that you're dealing with. And so you need to come up with templates that not only can be used in isolation for one pathology, but they can also be mixed and matched for different pathologies on the same hand or different pathologies in different uh, extremities. So this is hours of time from the physician to build these templates. The good news is if you can do this, uh, you can complete your chart within minutes of interactions with patients, but there's time to use the templates, populate them, 
update the templates, making sure they're comprehensive and accurate, reflecting the individual patient uh, pathology. And there's a burden on the provider to really do this after they see the patient. And I did this for my practice and templated over 300 different templates that could be mixed and matched in thousands of different ways. And it is very cumbersome and not easy to teach, especially when we have physician extenders working with us. So then we thought about live scribes. But the problem is, even though they can support physicians with personalized scribe services, they can allow the physician to focus on the patient and provide theoretically better documentation, there is the cost issue. There is a challenge for that live scribe to keep up with the workload of the physician. So if you're seeing 50, 60, 70 patients a day, can that scribe keep up with you on the fly as you're moving from room to room to room? And then there's the question of stability of scribes. I mean, as these scribes turn over and leave, you have to train up the next scribe. So that didn't really make sense for us. We looked at transcription services or traditional ones, but these were no longer supported by our health system. The good news was that if we went this path, we wouldn't change our workflow. We could continue to focus on patient care, do better documentation because we're documenting as we're seeing the patient, but cost is a variable that we would be uncertain with. You would verbalize the exam. The problem is it would be one to three days to get your documentation back, your transcription back. It was usually in a document that was outside of the EHR, and so you'd have to import this into the EHR. And then you have to edit and finalize, and all of this takes time that's valuable. It's the only commodity that, that we really have a limited amount of. So we looked at speech recognition software packages. Again, allows the, the surgeon to focus on the patient, hopefully allowing better documentation placed directly into the EHR with minimal cost. Uh, once the upfront cost is paid and sometimes subscription services are required, you can complete charts within minutes of seeing patients. But a lot of times, at least the way it's set up in our health system, you'd have to do this outside the patient room. So there is extra time built in to the patient visit, even though uh, the face-to-face time would still be the same. The voice recognition isn't always accurate. There does need a period of training. And again, you have to edit and finalize, and this requires your time. You could then think about virtual transcription services where you use a recording device or an app on a device, that file is then uh, uploaded to the cloud. It doesn't change your workflow. You can focus on the patient. You can allow for better documentation. This can be imported directly by the transcriptionist right into your EHR. Cost can be of a concern, especially if you don't see high volume patients. So you have to weigh out the cost versus the ability to build efficiencies and maybe see one or two or three extra patients a day. And the nice thing about the virtual transcription services, you can provide directions, direction to the scribe. So for example, you can tell the scribe, pull in my uh, exam pre-surgically or pull in the right foot exam from three weeks after the surgery, whatever it may be. So you can provide a little bit of direction to your virtual transcriptionist, and that's nice. However, you have to really learn to verbalize every aspect of your exam. The scribes can turn over. They tend to be a little bit more stable than live scribes, but they can still turn over. It does take one to two days, sometimes up to three days to obtain your transcription back, and then you have to edit and finalize. But there is a function that if you need a a transcription the same day, you can do that. So that's your other option for virtual transcription services. And finally, you have the AI transcription service. This still needs a recording device or app. The AI will listen and prepare the note based on what you're saying, which is nice. So it gives you all the the benefits of the, the virtual transcription service. It can be completed within an hour, and that's a big difference between AI versus virtual. 
However, you cannot, as it stands today, from, from the services we were looking at, provide direction. You can't do some esoteric things, which, which is, you know, uh, say, pull in the labs from, you know, a month ago, pull in the, the x-ray findings from last week or the MRI findings from the report. So you can't do those things as it stands right now. At some point, as this technology continues to evolve and improve, it will be sophisticated that you can use voice prompt to pull in data or different parts right into that AI uh, document. So we're just not there yet from an AI perspective for full-blown efficiency, but it, it is evolving. So what worked for us was really a virtual transcription service allowed for up to 24-hour turnaround or faster if we denoted that. It allows for a live person for customer service. There's an assigned team lead. So if there's issues or concerns, we have somebody to turn to. But we are starting to trial AI. But as it stands right now, that really means that we have to simplify our notes. We cannot use a lot of voice prompts. We are giving feedback to the, to the service providers that we're using. It is an evolution, and we are going to be involved in that evolution, at least from an orthopedic perspective. And the ultimate goal is to really be able to use our voice prompts with natural speaking to provide a really robust note that we can do on the fly that doesn't take much more time from the surgeon and allows us to do what we do best, which is taking care of patients. Thanks. Hello, my name is Nandar Nassif. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Newport Orthopedic Institute. I'm also the chief of division of joint replacement surgery at Hogue Orthopedic Institute, as well as the fellowship director there. Dr. Beanie asked me to speak about additional solution that we had used to address a clinical problem. And today I'm going to be talking about our utilization of the Get Well Loop or Health Loop, uh, which was uh, its previous name. So what was our problem? We had several. So first, we were concerned about standardization of patient care pathways between and amongst surgeons to ensure that we had the latest data-driven evidence-based pathways amongst all the surgeons to ensure that we minimize the heterogeneity uh, between care uh, for patients. In addition, we had an issue of access. Uh, patients sometimes had a hard time getting through to the surgeons in an appropriate time to be able to ask them a specific question or there was a concern that would uh, need to be addressed immediately. And in the era of advanced payment models and bundled payments, patient report outcomes were certainly something that we had to look into collecting, which was uh, labor intensive. And we also had to uh, mitigate risk by decreasing ER and hospital visits and readmissions. So we turned to Health Loop or Get Well Loop. And this was a patient engagement platform that is a HIPAA compliant texting app and has a loop for an episode of care to help patient get through from 30 days prior to uh, surgery to about 30 days after surgery to ensure that they go through all the steps before and after the procedure and they're following along with what their physicians or surgeons protocols are. So we worked together as a group and amongst our subspecialties, we decided to, uh, header, uh, to homogenize our care pathways and standardize them. We ended up developing 22 different care pathways for total joints, sports, foot and ankle, shoulder and elbow, spine, hand, and our pain management team. And we subsequently automated our patient reported outcomes for both the care for joint replacement surgeries, as well as for who's and who's for some of our payers. In addition, for our uh, upper extremity and sports colleagues, we're able to collect patient report outcomes that helps them with both research as well as quality metrics. So we started this back in 2015, and our results have been quite good. 
we were able to enroll about 30,000 patients over the course of the last six years, with 76% of the patients that we do ask to enroll actually enrolling, 70% of them uh, being actively engaged. Over the course of that time, we had almost 260,000 asynchronous communications with our patients. And of those, 7% or about 17,000 messages were clinically critical messages that were relevant uh, for our patients, whether these were patients who had concerns for uh, DVT or or PE clots, potential concerns for infection, increased pain, or need for refills in their medications. And that essentially helped us reduce our phone call volume at the same time allowing us to really address the patient who needed significant attention quickly. And at the same time, uh, prevented us for a certain number of patients from having to go back to the ER or being readmitted to the hospital. Overall, the patient had a great experience with it, with 89% of them showing a high satisfaction rate with our uh, get well loop messages. And of those, about 45% of the patients ended up going on and clicking through to a third-party rating app that ultimately ended up improving our social reputation online. So what did we learn? Uh, We learned that through a simple solution, we're able to provide a sustained improvement in our patient access and patient satisfaction, uh, while at the same time not requiring a significant amount of FTE investment. We were able to really reduce the amount of manpower needed for PRO collection. We were able to allow, get an added benefit by having uh, patients increase our social reputation, our internet reputation by clicking through to the websites. I think key takeaways from this is that we really have to commit to this program and there require commitments from both the surgeons and our practice in terms of really encouraging patients to sign on and engage with us, uh, as well as dedicating an FTE or a part of an FTE that was able to manage all the loops for all the surgeons to ensure that nothing that was critical got missed. That's it. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dr. Vonda Wright. I'm an orthopedic surgeon and chief of sports medicine at a large Atlanta hospital system. And we decided to uh, address some of the problems we were having with continued remote patient monitoring in our clinics. The problem we were trying to solve is one that is common in orthopedics where we will give our patients home exercise programs. And if we do not send them to formal therapy for that, often patients have a hard time retaining that information and it is difficult to monitor their progress or answer their questions along the way. So to solve this problem and do it in a way that would function under the remote patient monitoring standards that changed during the pandemic period, we decided to use a platform that we were already using in some of our outpatient uh, sports teams called Fusionetics. This solution allows us to enroll and onboard a patient in our offices using cameras which mark the patient's movement patterns. We then use the algorithm of the app, Fusionetics, to design home exercise programs that are then given to the patient digitally. We used this then to check in periodically over the month or six weeks that the patient was doing the home exercise program. We chose this technology not only because it was digitally presented to the patient, but because, frankly, we had a long-term relationship with Fusionetics as a corporation, and they were making really strategic decisions about how to present information 
to patients. So in order to implement or go from ideation to execution, first, we brought together a group of stakeholders, another clinician and myself, another surgeon and myself, one of our athletic trainers and stakeholders from Fusionetics to design the process, which included not only how we were going to roll it out in our clinics in real time, but also how we were going to integrate with our electronic medical record to get feedback into the patient's chart. And then finally, we worked with our business office on the codes that we needed to bill appropriately for the remote patient monitoring. Now, there are very specific rules associated with those codes about how much time is spent with the patient. So it was also very important for us to document not only their digital time, but their one-to-one time with either myself or my athletic trainer who was supervising their course. Our measurable outcomes during the pilot that we performed were not only ease of implementation in the clinic, but also patients' compliance and accuracy of charting data, and also whether or not we were actually able to submit these CPT codes for billing in a way that made the time we were investing in our clinic with our patients an actually feasible way to deliver remote patient care. We performed a pilot in the month of January where we enrolled 10 patients and followed them all the way through the onboarding in the clinic process, the month of home care and remote patient monitoring through the billing cycle. At this point, we have discovered that despite the rules that exist for the CPT codes, sometimes it's actually difficult to get those codes accurately build for. So we're in a process of revising what we think is an amazing technology to implement in an outpatient orthopedic clinic using our athletic trainers, sending the Fusionetics platform home with them, and then being able to monitor them remotely. And this opens up an entire avenue for orthopedic surgeons and musculoskeletal doctors, which had previously only been easily applicable to primary care. Thanks so much. Hello, so we are from UCSF. I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Stefan Obino, the Chief Technology Officer for the department. Nicholas Yasku, you are one of our administrative assistants. Thank you so much. And Jason Jagodinsky, you were tasked with launching QGenda. Thank you. And you're also one of our orthopedic pediatric attendings and also work with the university on some of the technology around uh, Epic. So we had a problem to solve at UCSF, and that is we had grown organically relatively quickly over the past several years. We've gone, we're now 75 faculty up from 30 or 40 or so not long ago. We had, we have increased to seven or eight different outline clinics. We have four different operating rooms. And it was getting really, really hard to track where people were who to put on call, who had taken call, and so it wasn't getting uh, caught up. And also, there's a problem when it comes time to allocating or finding or deciding to provide new resources when you don't really know how you're currently using your existing resources. So to solve that problem of getting a better oversight over this where our resources were, we looked to technology to get away from paper-based scheduling, and we found a company called QGenda. Now, Jason Jagodinsky, Dr. Jagodinsky, Jagodzinski, sorry, uh, elected to agree to help us uh, lead that change. So I'm going to turn over to him to tell us a little more about it. Absolutely. Thank you, Stephanie. So there are many methods to approach a call-in clinical schedule. You can use Excel spreadsheets, shared calendars, and little paper calendars. Yes, one of our colleagues still had everything in their pocket calendar. So we found a company called QGenda that is essentially a pumped-up 
spreadsheet that uses rule-based algorithms to allocate call and clinical schedules to our our team of faculty, allied health providers, and residents. Once the rules are put into the software, you basically hit run, and it populates the schedule automatically and fairly. It can take into account past holiday call, for example, and it avoids junior faculty getting taken advantage of by more savvy seniors, possibly by a guy somewhere in his call, but he wouldn't actually do that. (laughs) Over time, the team started to add functionality, like automatically updating the hospital-wide call schedule, relieving our staff of duplicative work, and we started putting in other department-wide tasks like grand rounds and faculty meetings. Eventually, the functionalities were extended to allow not just call, but also clinic scheduling, as well as track location and time. Rather than having literally dozens of individuals putting in individual people's wishes and commitments into multiple shared spreadsheets, the software, once set up, can create a schedule automatically. It can also generate reports that we can use administratively to see how we are sourcing our sites and cross-reference that information to utilization data. So Nick, tell us what we learned. Well, first of all, change, as we all know, is not always an easy thing, but it is possible. And with QGenda, we were presented initially with several problems. Um, The first was that the administrative staff, those who would be implementing this new software, scheduling um, platform weren't formally informed or involved in the decision-making process. Also, we were finding that some of the providers did not, weren't too happy about having their schedules be so transparent. And when we started to meet with the QGenda team and we started to, they started to assist us with setting up the setup books, setting up the rules and codifying them, uh, we started to see what the automation would look like. For instance, if Dr. X was in the OR on Mondays and Dr. Y was in clinic on Mondays, they would cancel each other out. We set up limits uh, uh, to who, how people could view the schedules and how they could access changing the schedules. We started to include some of the practice coordinators, other allied health professionals, the managers to start inputting the clinic and OR schedules. And before we knew it, QGenda was becoming viral within the department as others got involved. We started to look for QGenda allies at UCSF, and we found that UCSF actually has uh, several QGenda users. Jill Harrell of OBJYN has been very um, great and instrumental with helping us alleviate some of the new ortho user anxiety that we have, (laughs) and her experiential feedback has been great. I believe that in the long run, those of us that were most resistant in the beginning, myself included, will become some of QGenda's biggest supporters. Thank you. And with that, I want to thank you both for explaining it to us. We're clearly in a position now where we can scale the organization further by having digitized and gone through that process. Thank you, Jason, for leading it. Thank you to Nicholas for supporting it. Welcome. Great. Thank you, Stefano. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the voices segment of DocsSF, where we've asked five end stakeholders to talk to us about why they chose digital technologies, how they implemented them into their clinical setting, would they recommend them in the future, and why. It's easy to have ideas. It's an amazing process to actually implement them, and I hope today you've learned from the five presenters that we entertained today. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Dr. Vonda Wright for DocsSF. On behalf of all of us at DocSF, the Digital Orthopedics Conference at San Francisco, thanks for listening and for joining our community. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider leaving us a five-star review and tell your friends. If you're interested in joining our team, participating, or being interviewed on DocSF, please let us know. If not, please join the revolution and listen up for our next podcast. Thank you.